0: Good morning, Church. Um, reading this morning from Matthew chapter nine, verse thirty-five through to chapter eleven, verse one. And Jesus went throughout all their cities, all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it, but if it is not, let your peace return to you, and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave the house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents, Proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter in law against her mother in law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter, more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Matt. Um, good, good job working your way uh, through that reading. Um, we're going to spend some time uh, looking at what God has to say to us in this passage. Uh, we have the privilege of, of doing that because God is a speaking God. Uh, but yeah, let's pray. Let's ask for God's help. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we need you. We need you right now in this moment. Lord, there are so many things that could prevent us from hearing from you. Lord, there are just the natural distractions that we have. Lord, there's our flesh that doesn't want to receive what you have to say. Lord, there is a a Satan, a devil, who is seeking to steal the word. Lord, there are so many things that would keep us from hearing from you. And so, Lord, we are aware this moment just how much we need you. Lord, for anything to, of good to happen from this, Lord, you need to show up. You need to work. You need to speak to our hearts. You need to speak through me and speak through all of us who are listening. Lord, I pray you would forgive me for the the part of me that, that somehow thinks that somehow through preparation or or skill or any of those things or giftings, that somehow those things will make a difference. Lord, you are the only one who can make a difference. So, Lord, we need to hear what you have to say. Lord, heaven and hell lies in the balance. So, Lord, please, we beg you, we beg you this moment, in spite of our sin, in spite of our many shortcomings, despite the fact we don't deserve to hear from you, nevertheless, speak to us, Lord, and give us heirs to hear. Change us, Lord, for your name's sake. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, Life without purpose is meaningless, right? Life without purpose is meaningless. Living life or just going through life without any kind of goal or mission is pointless. It's aimless. It's meaningless, right? Life, one of the things that gives life meaning is purpose or mission, and today we are looking at mission. This passage is all about mission. Namely, the mission of the church. God's mission for us. Right. So God is going to say, as we look through this text, what God is trying to show to us, reveal to us, has everything to do with mission. And in fact, this section that was just read It's the second of five main teaching blocks in the Gospel of Matthew. So when you read through the book of Matthew, what you see is that there are five big teaching blocks. You can recognize them because they are places where Jesus is teaching and they all end by saying, when Jesus finished, when Jesus finished, when Jesus finished. They have the same phrase. So we saw the first teaching block way back in Matthew 5, Matthew 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount, which was all about What it looks like to live in God's kingdom, what discipleship looks like in God's kingdom. And today we are looking at the second main teaching block, and we're doing it all together, and that's all about mission. And in particular, what we see is Jesus' promise that actually in this mission we will be persecuted. Right? So Jesus has this mission that He's given to us, but a part of this mission, necessary to this mission is that we will suffer, we will be persecuted. And so that's in one sense the main theme of this passage, that the reality of persecution as we go about Jesus' mission. But also, it's not just about the suffering in the mission. Because of that suffering, Jesus gives us truths. There are five truths that we see here in this text that enable us to endure in our mission despite suffering. So it's about how we're to accomplish this mission. This mission will involve suffering, but there are truths that we are given here to help us to endure in our mission despite suffering. So firstly then, Jesus promises that in this mission that he's given to us, we will face persecution. Look with me firstly then at the mission, the mission itself, verse 5 of chapter 10. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So so Jesus' mission to these disciples is the same mission that we, the church, have today, right? It's to preach the gospel. It's to share the, the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand, that God's kingdom has come in the person of Jesus Christ. It's to say, this good news that God has come to reign as king, that God has come to restore the world. That's the good news, right? God has come in Jesus Christ to reign as king. It's great news. And yeah, and we saw this all the way back in chapter 3, part of this news is that since God has come to reign, we as people must repent. We must turn from our sin. We must submit ourselves to the rulership of God. We must put our faith in in Jesus Christ. So it's a call for us to change the way we've been living and to follow Jesus. And that's the mission we've been given. The mission is that we as Christians, those who are Jesus' disciples, we are sent out into the world to declare that message. That's the mission of the church. And the main theme that you see in this passage is that if we are faithful to that mission of sharing the good news, of telling people that they must repent and put faith in Jesus Christ. If we are faithful to that, we will face persecution. We will face rejection. You see this all over this passage. So look with me from verse 16. Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Skip down verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will raise, rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So the mission that Jesus gives his disciples is to preach the good news of the kingdom. And as they preach, they go about healing, they go about casting out demons, they go about raising the dead. And despite of all these wonderful good things that they're doing as they're preaching the good news, Jesus tells them that they are to expect a hostile response. By extension, we, the church, as we go about our mission, we are to expect suffering as we share the gospel we are to expect death we are to expect rejection if we are called to follow Jesus we are called to pick up a cross right we're called to come and die when we go out and we speak to our friends and our families and our work colleagues about Jesus Christ one thing we should expect is persecution One thing we should expect is rejection. Right, it's striking. Jesus stresses that. It's odd, right? Far too often, in some ways, we're surprised that the world is hostile to us. That our unbelieving friends and family are hostile to us. But Jesus says we shouldn't be surprised. Because if we're faithful in our mission, the world will hate us. Because it hated Jesus. Jesus says he's called Beelzebub. In other words, Jesus is called the prince of demons. It's such a striking fact. The son of God, the maker of the universe, comes to the earth and they call him the ruler of demons. That's what they speak. When they see Jesus, they, they speak of him as if he's the leader of the demonic world. That's how they treated Jesus. That's how we, are to be expect, that's how we should expect to be treated also. Right? And so when we go out sharing the mission, it's actually, it's a small thing for someone to call us a bigot, or someone to call us a hateful person, or someone to call us a Bible basher, because they call Jesus the leader of demons, right? And we are following Jesus. Again, we need to, to get this into our head. There is something in us, when we go out, when we're sharing the gospel with people and we're telling people about Jesus, there is something in us that tells us that if people don't respond kindly to us, that maybe we've done something wrong. That maybe if I share the gospel with someone and they're upset or they're annoyed with me or they're frustrated with me or they don't take it nicely or they tell me to go away, that somehow maybe I just didn't do it right. That maybe I just need to be more patient or maybe I, I shouldn't have said that. Or maybe I should just be more strategic but Jesus says, if you're faithful, if you're faithful in this mission, you will experience persecution. That's part of the mission. Jesus was faithful. They called him the prince of demons. Je- Jesus was faithful. They hung him on a cross. If we are faithful in our mission, part of that mission, one of the conditions of that mission is shame and rejection and persecution. Right? Right? And we all feel that. If you're a Christian, we all feel that. We're hesitant to speak about Jesus. We, we don't want to cause trouble. We, we don't want to upset people. We don't want people to be upset. We don't want there to be issues or problems. But Jesus says, when he sends up his disciples, Jesus says he's come to cause trouble. Right? Verse 34. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. We don't want to cause trouble. Jesus says, I've come in this world, in one sense, to cause trouble. Jesus' mission, in one sense, is to cause division. His expectation is that if his people are faithful to their mission, their faithfulness will rip up families. Their faithfulness will disrupt friendship groups. It will break friendship groups apart. It will cause problem. It will cause division. Because this mission, the mission that Jesus has given us, is all-consuming, and it costs us everything. If we are faithful in our mission to proclaim the gospel openly, we will cause trouble. We will be troubled. We will be hated because the world hates Jesus. And so perhaps the reason why we are so popular at work and why every one of our unbelieving friends never has any issue with us is because we've shrunk back from our mission, right? The reason why no one has anything bad to say about us, the reason why everyone's perfectly comfortable with us is because we're not being faithful to do what Jesus called us to do. Because if we are faithful to what Jesus called us to do, we will suffer for his sake. If they crucified him, if they insulted him, they will do likewise with us. There is no threading the needle. There is no way to be faithful in this mission. And and people never have an issue with us. And people never attack us. And people never insult us. That way, that perfect middle way, it doesn't exist. If we are to be faithful in this mission, we will suffer for Jesus' name. one sense, that's the theme of this chapter. And yet, the reality is, for every single one of us we don 't want to suffer right and none of us just naturally like suffering. The difficulty of this mission, the difficulty of evangelism i don 't know if you 're a christian here i don 't need to tell you that you need to evangelize you know that, but the difficulty is you 're aware of what that costs you 're aware of the suffering that 's involved and, and you don 't want to suffer, and in one sense that 's natural none of us want to suffer and in fact Jesus knows that we don't want to suffer and so yes this promise this passage tells us promises us persecution but this passage then also gives us truths in fact five truths that will help us to endure in our mission despite suffering and these five truths they involve five c's I want you to bear with me I watch very hard to try and get a c in every single one of these you know, if you've if you heard me a lot, I don't do that a lot. I worked hard. I was looking for synonyms, synonyms here, there, and everywhere. Some work better than others. But there are five Cs. There are five Cs here in this text that enable us to be faithful in our mission despite suffering. And the first truth, the first C, you might say, that enables us to endure in our mission is the compassion that Jesus has for the lost. Go with me right to the beginning of our passage. Verse 35 of chapter 9. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. you're a Christian, I have a question for you. When you look at the world, what do you see? What do you see? When you look at society, what do you see? When you look at the world, you know, the unbelieving world, right? Unbelieving colleagues, unbelieving family, unbelieving friends. What do you see when you look at them? What do you see? There's a lot to see, right? You might say that when we look at the world, what we see is just how opposed this world is to God. You might say when we look at this world, what we see is the wickedness of this world. And that's true. The world is in fact wicked. The world hates God. It hates the idea of the rule of God. And it hates God's people. Right? It's a world that's in constant rebellion against God. It's a world where people, brothers and sisters, are being killed all over the world because they follow Jesus Christ. We live in a society that's increasingly hostile to the things of God. Hostile to God's word. So when you look at the world, one thing you might see is we might see the wickedness of this world. We would be right to see that. But if that's all we see when we look at the world, we won't be faithful in our mission. If that's all we see, then all we'll end up is just being angry with the world. Or fearful of the world. You know, there's Christians that are just always, you know, the, the world, the world. It is angry with the world. Or fearful of the world. Let's retreat into our corners. Let's just do our own thing. Because the world is this great threat. If that's all we see, we won't be faithful. If we want to endure in our mission, when we look in the world we, at the world, we need to see what Jesus saw. And when Jesus looked at the world, he saw people who were harassed and helpless. He saw sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looks at the world, even as they reject him and oppose him, And he sees the lostness of this world. He sees just how lost the world is. He sees just how blind they are. He sees how helpless the world is. How confused they are. And because he sees that, the Bible says he has compassion on the world. Right? He has compassion. Jesus calls his disciples, he calls us, to this mission where they're going to face rejection and persecution. But you have to remember what starts this mission off to begin with is the compassion that Jesus has. It's the pity that Jesus has for this world because this world is lost. Right? If we're going to be faithful to share the good news of Jesus Christ. If we're going to be faithful despite the way this world rejects us, we are going to need something of the compassion of Jesus Christ. Because this world hates Jesus. And in one sense, if we are faithful, this world will hate us. And yes, they will give an account for that one day. But this world is also lost and helpless and harassed. And because of that, we ought to have compassion for this world. You know, The word here that, that the Bible gives us for compassion, it's a, it's a very visual word. It's a, it's a kind of a metaphor. It speaks of almost Jesus' guts being twisted up because he sees, he pities the world. You might say his heart goes out to the world. This world that would largely reject him, this world that would largely oppose him, Nevertheless, Jesus has compassion. Jesus sees the world in its muck and its filth and its rebellion against God. And Jesus has mercy. He has compassion. He has pity on the world. And so church, we need to pray for eyes to see the world the way Jesus sees it. When we go out to Stockholm next week, when we go to our schools and our workplaces and our families and we experience opposition, we need to remember that this world is lost. And we need to have compassion. Because as we suffer, when we tell people about Jesus and they insult us or they ignore us or they isolate us or they harm us, when all those, thi- those things happen, one of the things that helps us to endure is the compassion that we have because of their lostness. So the first truth, the first C you might say that helps us to endure is compassion. Jesus' is compassion for the lost. The second thing that we see here, the second truth that we see here in this passage that enables us to endure in our mission despite suffering is this. God's control over our suffering. God has a control over our suffering. Look with with me from verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. If we are faithful in this mission, we will suffer, right? But one thing we need to know is that God is in complete sovereign control over every aspect of our suffering for his sake. He's in complete control. The Bible tells us here, Jesus tells us here, that that God knows the number of hairs on our heads, right? Obviously, some of us, That number is less than than others, right? But God, God knows the exact number. Why does Jesus tell us that? God is, he's detailed about you. It's not some big picture thing. God knows every single seemingly insignificant detail about you. He's watching over you in that kind of way. And though you will suffer for his sake, He is in complete sovereign control over your suffering. Your father in heaven is watching over you. And that doesn't mean that we won't suffer. We will suffer. If you're faithful to the mission, you will suffer. Right? The example Jesus gives, again, we saw this back in Matthew 6. Again, Jesus gives us the example of the sparrows. And he tells them that not one of them goes to the ground apart from the Father. What Jesus is saying here is, you know, birds don't live forever, right? Birds die. But there's not one bird that just dies by accident. There's not one bird that just dies and God didn't see it. No, God sees every, God is in complete control over the lives, even of the sparrows. And you are worth more than the sparrows. God is in complete control over your suffering. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, you cannot be hurt in your mission apart from God's will. No one can touch you apart from God's say-so. No one can insult you about your faith without God's sovereign care. You're not your own. You're under the loving care of your father. You're not suffering just by accident or in vain or because you made a mistake. No, you're suffering under the complete control of your father. If you're faithful in this mission, you will shed tears. God will take every single one of those tears and he keeps it in his bottle. Not one of those things happen, again, just haphazardly. No, your Father is watching over you. He is with you in your suffering, and he's in complete control over your suffering. What that means is, look, if you're faithful, if we are faithful in our mission, when we go to our workplaces and we are faithful to speak about Jesus Christ, it may mean that you lose your job. It may mean that you lose your job. I, I can't tell you whether you will lose your job or not. It it may be. It may be that if you're faithful to the mission, you will lose your job. But here's the thing. You won't lose your job apart from your father's care. You won't lose your job accidentally. You'll lose your job. The only way you will lose your job is because your father has determined to work that for your good. Because your father's loving care is over you. Look, you might go, you might speak to your friends about the gospel. I don't know how they might respond. Your friends might decide they never want to speak to you again. That suffering, that isolation, will not happen apart from God's sovereign control. So if though God calls us into suffering, he's in complete control over that suffering. There is not a bit of suffering you will experience that God is unaware of or indifferent to. Right. So church, let's persevere in our mission despite suffering because God is in control over our suffering. That's the second C, the second truth we see here. God's control over our suffering. The third C that we see here, the third truth that keeps us persevering in our mission is the fear of God's condemnation. The fear of God's final condemnation. Look with me at verse 28. I'm going to read verse 28, um, and then I'm going to read verse 33. Um, Do not fear those... Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Verse 33, Jesus says, Whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Be faithful under persecution to this mission because the consequences of being cowardly are eternal. The consequences are God's condemnation. In other words, Jesus says, be faithful because you should fear God far more than you fear people. You should fear God far more than you fear anything this world can give you. You should fear God because God is far scarier than all of this world's threats. Be faithful because you fear God's condemnation. The the worst thing that this world could do, If you're faithful to this mission, if you share the gospel, the worst thing that can happen, Jesus says, is that you're put to death. In reality, here in this country, that's not really even a thing. That's probably not going to happen. Although, of course, our brothers and sisters are being put to death. But the worst thing that could happen is that we lose our lives. That's the worst case scenario. And we don't want to make light of that. None of us wants to die. That's a scary thing. Jesus tells us there's something far scarier. The thing that is far scarier is of us standing before Jesus Christ and before God the Father and Jesus before the Father saying he doesn't know us. That's a far scarier thing than death. That's a far scarier thing than isolation. The thing that is scarier here is the fire of hell. Jesus said, bear in mind the audience, Jesus isn't speaking to some random, Jesus is speaking to the disciples. He says, fair God who is able to throw both soul and body into hell. The fear of God's condemnation ought to keep you faithful in suffering. And I hope you see the implication. The implication of this is, if you're a Christian, evangelism is not optional. Sharing the gospel isn't optional. It's not the kind of thing for, you know, the super mature Christians. It's not the kind of thing for those super extroverted people that like talking to people. It's not the thing for those people that have those theology degrees. No, part of what it means to follow Jesus is to take part in this mission. If we are Christians, we are those who have recognized the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so those who are unfaithful to this mission will prove themselves to be not Jesus's disciples. That's what Jesus is saying here. Right? Again, verse 37. Jesus says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. You, Christian, should be faithful because you fear God's condemnation more than the world's condemnation. Right? Our response to God's call to mission, it tells us something about who we fear. And if our life, the tenor of our life, is more character-wise by the fear of people than it is the fear of God, we prove that we are not, we've not put our faith in Jesus Christ. So as we go out next week, for example, we go out of the church into Stockwell, it's natural that we'll be a bit fearful. It's natural that we'll fear rejection. It's natural... Right? For you kids, as you go back to school after half-term, it's natural you, you fear that if you go and speak about Jesus to your friends, that they might make fun of you. It's natural to fear that. It's natural as you go into work, you might fear what the repercussions for your employment might be if you speak to colleagues about who Jesus Christ is. It's natural to fear those things. But more than you fear those things, fear God. Right? Fear God. Fear that your cowardice in this mission might be a sign that you do not belong to God. Fear that your life being conditioned by the fear of people will be a sign that you do not belong to God. Fear hell. That's what Jesus says. And this doesn't mean, of course this doesn't mean that we're saved by our works or we're saved by evangelists. We're not. But the people that God saves, when God saves a person, God calls us into this mission. And one of the signs that we belong to Jesus Christ is that we follow him. There's no Christian that doesn't follow Jesus Christ. There's no convert convert that's not a disciple. There's no way we come into the kingdom of God and we don't follow God's command. There's no way we call Jesus Lord and we don't do what he says. If we are trusting in Jesus Christ, if we recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ, we must follow him. And if we think that somehow we can give up on God's mission because we fear this world, we are fearing the wrong thing. One of the things that keeps us faithful in our mission, in spite of our suffering, is actually we fear God's condemnation more than we fear the condemnation of this world. That's the third C. And the fourth C is really the inverse of the third one. Persevere in mission because you are looking forward to the confirmation, that final confirmation of Jesus. So verse 32, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. As we face shame and rejection in this mission, Jesus wants us to look ahead to the final day, to that moment where Jesus himself will confirm us before the Father. Jesus says, look ahead to the eternal reward that God has promised to those who are faithful. Jesus wants us to, to use the language of Paul to be able to say, right? Or what Jesus is telling us in one sense is that the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed. That the weight of glory that God has promised for those who are trusting in Jesus Christ infinitely outweighs all of the rejection. That one day we are going to stand before the almighty God, the King of Kings. And as we stand before the God of the universe, not only will God be there, but Jesus Christ will be there. And for those who are trusting in Jesus Christ and who are following him, on that day, Jesus will step forward. And before his father, he will declare, you are mine. He will acknowledge us before the father. You will receive eternal life. What this text is telling us, what Jesus is telling us here, is that we should be able to say with Paul, when it all is said and done, that we have fought the good fight. That we have finished the race. That we have kept the faith. And now there stands before us the crown of righteousness. Righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward to us on that day. We are faithful. We fight the good fight. We we run the race. Why? Because there's a crown that awaits us. There's the confirmation of Jesus Christ. And all the rejection of this world, all the persecution, all the pain that this world can put you through is like dust on the scales in comparison to the eternal weight of glory. So persevere in your mission. Be faithful in your mission because God has promised us that those who are trusting in him, who are faithful to this mission, he will acknowledge us before the Father. Embrace suffering by looking ahead to Jesus' confirmation. Finally then, Jesus gives us one last truth, right, to help us to endure in suffering. This passage gives us one more truth, one more see, and it's this. It's the conclusion of the mission. Look with me at verses 40 to 42. Whoever receives you receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of water because he is a disciple truly I say to you he will by no means lose his reward. Jesus promises us in this passage rejection. He promises us suffering but he also promises us or he points us to this glorious conclusion that as we go out there will be some who reject us but you know what there will also be some who accept us there will be some who believe this mission will succeed look let me be honest when I was studying this passage and I got to those last few verses I was a bit like, oh, this seems a bit of an anticlimax. Like, there's so much going on, and you know, it was good, you know, yeah, you know. But I, I just, I didn't get it, right? But this isn't an anticlimax. This is a glorious conclusion. We have the opportunity to be on mission for Jesus, and because we are on mission for Jesus, there will be people who accept us. There will be people that hear the message and respond rightly, and when they accept us, they will not just be accepting us. When they accept us, when they accept our message, they will be accepting Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And not only will they be accepting Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Jesus says, he goes one step further, he says, they will be accepting God the Father, because the Father sent the Son, and Jesus sent us. So as we go out, we go out, With Jesus, with God. We go out representing God. And so as we go out, yes, we will be rejected, yes, some people will oppose us, but yes, by God's grace, there will be people who recognise, who see Jesus in us and accept us, and not just accept us, accept Jesus Christ. And we will have the privilege of introducing God to people. We have this mission church. You know, we're not salespeople trying to sell people insurance, we're not selling home security systems. When we go out, what we are offering is God, right? We are offering God to people. We're not selling people some some scheme or, or gizmo or product. We're selling God. We're offering people God. When people accept us, they are accepting God. When people meet with us, they will meet with Jesus Christ. Right? Back in verse 19, Jesus says that when we speak, in fact, the spirit will be the one speaking through us. Such that people will hear us and they will recognize that God, who God is and they will believe in the gospel. When we go out next week, we don't go out by ourselves. No, the Spirit of God will be speaking through us. When you go into your school and you're speaking to your friends, you're not going by yourself. No, the Spirit of God will be speaking through you. When you're in your mission and you know, they bring you before HR, don't worry. God will be with you in that meeting. God himself will speak through you in that meeting. And by God's grace, as you speak, there will be people that accept your words. And because they accept your words, they will accept God. Because they receive you, they will receive God. Right? Because they receive you, they will come to join in the family of God. They will come to join with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Look, church, this is an incredible privilege. We get to represent God. And we get to offer God to people. And if you're here this morning and you're not walking with Jesus Christ, I have the opportunity this morning of offering God to you. I'm not offering you here religion. I'm not offering you just come and be a part of our crew. I'm not offering you Stockwell Baptist Church, ultimately. I offer you the almighty God. I offer you an opportunity to have relationship with God. And because by God's grace and through the work of the Holy Spirit... I can stand and represent him, like every Christian represents him. I can tell you that if you accept these words, you will accept God. If you accept these words, God will come and make his home in you. Because Jesus Christ came and he's one, and the rule of God has come to reign. And because of that, if you accept this, if you trust in Jesus Christ, you can have relationship with him for all of eternity. Church, let's pray for grace to respond with that. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your mission. We thank you, Lord, because you have kept us here on this earth to fulfill your mission. And your mission is that we might preach the gospel. And yet, Lord, you know our hearts. You know how fearful we are. Lord, even throughout this sermon, you know the ways in which we, we've winced, even as we hear, because. We're counting the cost. Lord, we know that even now, perhaps as we've been listening, Satan has been suggesting ways that we can wiggle our way out of the mission. But Lord, I pray that you would give us, you would show us, these wonderful truths would keep us persevering in the mission. Lord, I pray as we go out into our weeks, we would go out with the compassion of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray, Lord, as we go out into our weeks, as we suffer, we will remember that you are in complete control over our suffering. Lord, as we are tempted to fear what people will do to us, I pray, Lord, rather we would fear you. We would fear your condemnation. I pray, Lord, as we suffer and we experience pain, because we are sold out for you, I pray you would point us forward to that confirmation of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would remind us of where this is headed, the conclusion, that because we are faithful in our mission, there will be people who receive us. And not just receive us, they will receive you. Lord, help us. We're so weak press these truths into our hearts by your holy spirit we are